this episode of Fat Girl Book Club. Uh, for this episode, we read the book Fat on Film by Barbara Plotz. And as the title suggests, this is all about fat representation on film. And so it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, I really, really had a good time in this one. So I know you're going to have fun with it too. Uh, just a couple of very quick housekeeping items before we jump into the episode. First and foremost, I want to mention that there is some swearing in this one. I know that this podcast is always marked explicit, but I found that these, uh, that this time when I was listening back to uh, the episode, it felt like they were a little bit harsher. So I just want to make you aware of that. Uh, try not to have any little kiddos in the area when you're listening to this episode. I also want to mention that we do uh, discuss my guest's eating disorder right at the beginning. Uh, and so there is a trigger warning for that. So if you need to, uh, it is important that we all take care of ourselves in the way that fulfills our own needs. And so I will not be offended if you decide not to listen to this episode in order to not be triggered. Uh, I also want to take a moment and thank my Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to Haz, to Pascal, to Larissa, and to Jen. Uh, I am just so grateful for you guys uh, beyond words. Uh, I will just as the last kind of housekeeping item before I jump into the book and my guest, uh, as some of you have listened to the past few episodes, you know that this podcast is going to be going on hiatus. I'm actually really excited about this and I think you guys are going to be too because the goal is to come back. The goal is to come back in the new year uh, revitalized and change the structure a little bit uh, and just just kind of do some really cool things with this podcast. So it's going to be a really good thing but uh, for now I am going to be taking some much needed time off. I Seriously much needed. Uh, my life since COVID, obviously, as all of our lives have changed quite a bit since COVID, my life since COVID really kind of changed a lot. Uh, I made a big move out uh, back to my hometown, and I'm struggling a little bit with that move. I am not going to lie; it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster, and I'm still trying to come to terms with what I've done and whether or not it was the best decision. And whether or not I maybe need to move back. So there's there's definitely some stuff going on on my side. I need to sort it out. I need to sort it out so I can be a better host for you guys so that I can take this podcast in a direction that I'm looking forward to take it in. Uh, one of the things that I am still doing during this hiatus is uh, my other business called Fearless Podcasting. Uh, if you look, there's a link in the show notes. Uh, head on over there to see what I do with Fearless Podcasting. If you are looking to start a podcast, especially if you're looking to start a podcast in body liberation spaces, uh, I know a little bit about what it's like to start in these spaces and I know a little bit about being able to help you. Uh, and so, you know, get in touch, get in touch. Okay. All right. Without further ado, let me tell you a little bit about this book. This is pretty cool. I'm going to read from the back of the book now. Over the last two decades, fatness has become the focus of ubiquitous negative rhetoric in the U.S. and beyond, presented under the cover of the medicalized war against the obesity epidemic. In Fat on Film, Barbara Plotz provides a critical analysis of the cinematic representation of fatness during this time frame, specifically in contemporary Hollywood cinema, with an emphasis on the intersection of gender, race, and fatness. 
The analysis is based on around 50 films released since 2000 and includes examples such as Transformers, Precious, Kung Fu Panda, Paul Blart, and Pitch Perfect. Plots maps the common cinematic tropes of fatness and also shows how commonplace notions of fatness that are part of the current obesity epidemic discourse are reflected in these tropes. In this original study, Plots brings critical attention to the politics of fat representation, a topic that so far has received little attention within film and cinema studies. Okay, well, uh, just reading that, <laughs> there is an error in this episode. Uh, my guest and I do discuss, uh, we do discuss uh, the number of films that get touched on in this film, in this book, sorry. Uh, and we mentioned that there was about 20 to 30. Well, it sounds like there's closer to 50. So, <laughs> hey, I'm doing it like right now as we're talking that that is an error that gets made in this episode. Uh, I don't think it takes away too much from the discussion. Okay. <laughs> Lastly, let me tell you about my guest. Has Caddy, she, her, or he, him, is many things. A children's librarian, a writer, a stage manager, and a soon-to-be podcaster. It has been her mission to make sure people of all ages see a wider range of characters in media, whether they are fat, queer, trans, Jewish, Muslim, different races, different abilities, or all of those things together. He loves theater, romantic comedies, Jane Austen, and tweeting, and hopefully podcasting about all of those things. So Haz and I know one another because with this podcast, I used to do a book club. And so Haz came on to the Zoom calls that I would do and we would talk books. And as you already heard, Haz is a librarian and works in that library setting, but he's also really active and passionate about theater, which is so cool because I, I love to watch theater, but also because it brings such a vibrancy to our discussion around these books. And so when uh, I had said to Haz, hey, if you want to come on, because honestly, our pretty much every conversation we've had should have been on this podcast because we really do, I don't know, just enjoy both of us getting into the weeds around these books and what what's trying to happen within these books and what we can bring into our own lives from these books. And so every time we've had a conversation, I feel like it should be recorded. So I said to Haz, you want to come on the podcast now that I'm kind of going on a hiatus? Uh, I'm not quite sure what's going to be happening here. Uh, do you want to come on? And yay, she agreed. So we're, we're having this discussion and I feel like as a listener, you're going to get the total vibe that we have going on when we sit around and talk about a book, uh, because that is exactly how I felt when I listened back to this conversation. It's just really relaxed, uh, really kind of interesting, really kind of what can we pull out of this that brings that we can um, that's interesting that we can bring into uh, how we look at and talk about these books, how we look and talk about body image, how we look and talk about uh, what it means for us as people living in larger bodies. Uh, so I think you're really, really going to enjoy this or I hope you really, really enjoy this. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Haz Caddy about Fat on Film by Barbara Plotz. Hi Haz, welcome to Fat Girl Book Club. Hello. 
I'm really excited you're here. You've picked a good one for us today to talk about uh, Fat and Film by Barbara Plotz. I'm probably saying the last name wrong, but that would be um, my guess. <laughs> who knows? But uh, before we jump into the book, which has so much good stuff into it, and I'm especially interested to talk to you because I know with your background in theater and film that this is going to be a really interesting discussion. Uh, but let's start with a little bit about you. So can you talk a little bit about your journey, about finding body liberation, uh, fat liberation, if that's how you define it? How, how did that all come about for you? Sure. It's kind of an interesting story for me because I kind of have three parts of it, which is my eating disorder, which developed when I was very little. Um, and then the second part is my journey to fat acceptance. And then the third part is the part where I actually became fat. So my eating disorder, which isn't as relevant, I guess, because it's not particularly about fear of being fat or anything like that. It's just been, uh, but it is about my relationship to my body. So it seems mm -hmm. relevant. Mm -hmm. That developed somewhere around middle school. And it just became a, I was just terrified of my relationship with food and terrified that people were watching what I was eating or caring what I was eating, which wasn't true. I didn't have, you know, my parents are great. My sister's great. None of them were like overly paying attention to my food intake mm -hmm. or the kind of food I was eating or anything like that. But somehow I got it in my head that it was just not okay to let people know that you were eating food. And I've made a lot of strides with that, especially with having a therapist for the last six years. But it's been a difficult journey learning how to eat because there there's no way you can avoid it you pretty much have to do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh it's it's a basic survival thing yep. <laughs> uh but it makes it very difficult uh to get through when you're terrified of what people are paying attention to even if you know in your head that no one's actually paying that much attention mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then my journey towards fat acceptance was, is something I, I remember certain parts of it, but I don't remember exactly when I made the change from kind of like the way most children and teenagers are where you're kind of scared of being fat or you don't mm -hmm. uh, know many fat people, you don't think about it. And it's just kind of societally accepted that it's a bad thing mm -hmm. to no, wait, that's not true. And I know I went through a phase of, you know, fat people should be more respected, but they should really care about their health, which is an absolute trap that is still bad. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it was, it, it was part of, it was part of me getting me where I needed to be. Um, I remember when Melissa McCarthy was just like getting super famous I remember just being struck one day and I was just like, you know, she's really pretty. And that was apparently a big deal to me because I, <laughs> I, I, I'm almost ashamed to admit that it was a big deal to me that I, you know, was just like, what a fat person is attractive, but apparently it was part of it. Uh, I was just like, you know what? She's really pretty. And that was kind of when we all had a national crush on Melissa McCarthy. She was doing movie after movie. Everybody loved her. But then it was kind of complicated because she wasn't conventionally attractive, but she was still very attractive. Um, she just, the only thing that made her not conventionally attractive was because she was fat. Yeah. 
And this book actually talks a lot about Melissa mm-hmm. McCarthy, which it is does. very interesting. It does, yeah. But I slowly became to the part of, came to the point of, you know, fat people deserve more respect in this world, end of sentence. And that was a pretty big deal for me. And it was, you know, how do we get more respect? How do we get better representation? How do we do all of these things? And then I started getting more fat friends. Uh, I saw, I'm a children's librarian and I saw the change that Dumplin made in the YA book universe. Because before then there were, before Dumplin, there were very few books about fat teenagers even fewer of them were any good (laughs) and Dumplin had this just like fat beautiful stunning girl on the cover Mm -hmm. and it was a good thing Mm -hmm. and the book was about a fat beautiful woman girl learning to be excellent and learning to be comfortable with with her fatness Mm -hmm. and since that book came out there have been a ton more there's fat girl on a plane Uh, there's undead girl gang there's all kinds of books uh, that have been just changing the world of YA literature and that's a particularly important time to hit kids with the message that being fat is okay yeah and can be a good thing and then after all that happened, after I kind of made those changes, then I started just naturally gaining weight. And then uh, I've struggled a lot with whether or not to define myself as fat, not because I'm afraid of it, mm-hmm. but because I don't, don't want to, as it were, take up space in the fat community that doesn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what really set me off on, yeah, it's okay that you're identifying as fat. It was after I started being in plus sizes, but it was when I went on a plane and the airplane seatbelt was just barely fitting me. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon I'm going to have to start asking for seatbelt extenders. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that that is not a pleasant or easy experience for many people. um, That many people will just simply not give them, uh, even though you're required to wear a seatbelt that fits you on an airplane. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, but it's just yep. kind of interesting that those are the three parts of my journey. Yes, that yes. have somewhat intersected, but have kind of taken different parts of my life. Right. Um, right. And I'm very grateful to have gotten to a place of fat acceptance before I became fat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when when this all started with your eating disorder, you talked about your relationship to food. And I know, um, that that was kind of a main thing for you, but was Mm -hmm. there also a fear of becoming fat? Was that also something that was going on for you or was that not really a part of it at all? It wasn't really a part of it at all, which is kind of, uh, which is definitely unusual. Um, I'm definitely in the minority of people with eating disorders who are not, who it's not mostly about body image and self-esteem and that kind of thing. And I've been very lucky that it's not about those things. Yes. But it is, it is pretty unusual. Right. So what has your relationship been to food now? Like when you start to make these shifts around, uh, you know, the, the respect and dignity that fat people deserve to have and that fat can be beautiful. Uh, 
how has your relationship to food shifted and what what's happening currently with your relationship to food? Is it a thousand times better and, and you're, you're perfectly healed and a normal eater? <laughs> it is definitely better. But part of that is I've also learned to navigate as an adult, how to not put myself in situations that make me uncomfortable, mm. which is not necessarily the same as healing but is a way to get through the world without worrying every day right. about my relationship to food. Right. Right. It's just so, it's so interesting to me, the way that you're, it, it was almost like body image was, was something going on for you, but it was not quite as prevalent or as strong as your relationship to food. What about your relationship to exercise? How has that been? My relationship to exercise is complicated mostly especially now Mm. now that I am fat Mm -hmm. um and I'm a small fat so I'm still very privileged in what my body size is but I did notice the last time I went to a ballet class that I was not the only plus size person in the room and that made me feel more comfortable right oh that's cool because I worry I think it's the same thing that has me worrying that people are paying attention to my food. People, I worry that people are paying attention to my exercise and saying mm-hmm. the things that people say about fat people exercising all the, you know, right. There, w- there's no point or <laughs> yes, goodness, at least they should be doing this or <laughs> look, it's not working. All those things. Yeah. I worry about that. Even though I know it's stupid. Yeah. I know that they are the ones in the yeah. wrong. So I, I, I don't have much of a relationship to exercise, to be mm-hmm. quite honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't exercise very often. I occasionally take dance classes, but that's more because of my theater interest than it is in right. uh, an, an interest in actually exercising. Right. And I battle with, no, you should exercise more. <laughs> exercise is good for you with... I don't want to, and I shouldn't have to. <laughs> exactly. To like to some degree, it's a rebellion thing. I know for me too, sometimes it's like, uh, I should do this. It's on my list to do. It does make me feel good. All, all the things that you just said. And then on the other hand, it's like, but fuck, I should not have to do this. Like, I don't feel like I want to. So I shouldn't exactly. have to. Uh, there's that exactly. rebellious ch- child in me that just stamps her foot and says <laughs> no. Um, and it feels like such a balancing act sometimes for me with exercise, but um, yeah, I totally, I totally get you on that. Um, it, that just so resonated with me. Yeah, no, it's really, some of the things you were saying was just so interesting. Just this whole realization that, oh, you know, putting it into the context of health, uh, is just so fascinating because that's, you're right. That's pretty much what everybody does. And then this love affair with Melissa McCartney, which I think is so interesting because like you said, this ties in so perfectly to the book because so many of Melissa McCartney's movies were mentioned in this book. (laughs) There was a whole section that was like, every one of these movies I'm going to mention is either Rebel Wilson or Melissa McCarthy. (laughs) Which is so terrible when you think about it. Cause it's like, is that our fat representation? Like right there. Um, right. And Queen Latifah, and- I felt like there was a quite a few mentions yes. of Queen Latifah, but they were peripheral. Like her roles mm-hmm. were peripheral. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And it, it get, begets the problem of soul representation where if there's very few instances of representation, then the, then anything that isn't perfect about them hurts even more. Yeah. 
when what we need we need flawed fat people yes on we screen. do yes totally and some of them can eat junk some of them can eat well or whatever well means yep all of that is all there's space for all of that but if you only have one or two movies coming out every year that have fat characters in major roles mm-hmm. that makes it complicated right Right, right, right. Okay. Let's get into the book. Uh, I want to start with asking you, because you suggested this book. So I'm interested to know how you found it um, and why you picked it. I think it was one of those things that I was just looking around on Amazon or bookshop.org. And it said, you might be interested in this. And I think it was Amazon and it was like $150 or something. And then finally they came out with a paperback mm-hmm. that was much cheaper. And I was like, Ooh, I need that book. Yeah. Cause I've always been very interested in representation. That's one of the big things I do in my uh, librarianship is focus on fat representation, queer representation, trans representation, racial representation, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's something that's mm-hmm. very important to me because I do think stories can change lives and representation helps change lives for the better. Oh, I so uh, agree. Unless it's unless it's worse. <laughs> unless it's for the worse. <laughs> Which some true. of these some of these books, some of the movies mentioned in this book were for the worse. Some of these true. True, true, true. <laughs> but it just seemed like exactly the kind of thing I would really enjoy. Uh, and then when you asked what book I would like to do, I said, I've got one on my shelf yeah. that I think would be interesting. What so when you first started to read it, what were your what are were kind of your overall thoughts on this book? Did you enjoy reading it? Uh, were there things that you were didn't enjoy about it? I did enjoy reading. I will admit that I skimmed it a little bit because I've been busy and because I think it's the kind of book that doesn't need every single word parsed over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but I I really enjoyed reading a lot of it. The only thing that was disappointing was it's pretty bleak. It's pretty bleak out there. I so agree. I so there, agree. There were a couple of movies that were mentioned that it was like, hey, this part's good, but this part's bad. Or this is good, but unfortunately they do this. Or things like that. There were one or two movies that were mentioned that were like, you know, this one's just good. And it was nice to have a couple of those. I did this. I don't know if you can see that. But in the margin of this one, <laughs> So I'm like reading along and it says, um, uh, considering that this film is a relatively recent one, the fact that the trope of the fat best friend has been toned down could be read as an indication of growing awareness in Hollywood when it comes to fat representation. And I've got this big smiley face. And then it says, unfortunately, Ned's sole appearance in Avengers Affinity War, which came out in 2018 and thereby a year after the film they had been talking about previously, doesn't support this and then I have like a little frowny face um because it's that's exactly you're right like it's like yeah like immediately um the author's like well this was so good and and it could be read in this way that actually does you know help with the fat characters in the movie uh and then like like the next sentence it'll be like (laughs) but I'm not so sure that that's actually what they were saying because of the way that they were shooting the fat body like it was just it was just so disappointing. Exactly. So it was it was it was a it was a bit of a rough read just because things are not good in fat on film. <laughs> no, no, they're not. So um just for the listener's benefit, the what the author did was chose mainstream movies 
uh, after that were pushed out after 2000, uh, where the fat characters were quote unquote marked. So where either there was mention of their fatness or there was like a very overt reference to the fact that they were in a larger body. Uh, and so she came out with, I don't know, how many films would you say are there? Mm, it looks like somewhere in the area of like 25 to 30. Does that seem about right? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, she, she has a list in the back of all the ones that she considers kind of the ones she's referencing. And then she referenced them continually throughout the book, talking about different themes. Uh, so uh, kind of one of the things that I was really excited to talk to you about, because we'd had this conversation or like a brief mention of the conversation in the Patreon group was this idea around uh, masculinity, especially in film and the way that um, I guess men, but only because I'm only saying men because film seems to be quite homogenous in how they look at gender. And so mm -hmm. they are talking about the masculinity in film and there's this whole chapter on it. And I was wondering, so what, uh, I guess, what are your thoughts around masculinity within film from the book and also your thoughts around kind of fatness in general uh, in terms of, you know, what we're doing culturally around what it means to be a fat male in the world that we live in. This is something that's really interesting to me because like you said, we've talked about this somewhat before. I think that there are a growing number of resources and books about fatness in women mm -hmm. and that's great. And I am so appreciative of that, but it is very difficult to find any discussion of what it means to be a fat man. And fat men have different issues, different struggles, different marginalization than fat women do. And in some ways it's not seen as, as, as quite as a bad thing, but it's certainly not easy to be a fat man. Uh, that is, that is, it is not just because the marginalization is arguably worse for women doesn't mean it's not bad for men. Ooh, yeah, good one. Yes. And I think I, if this book has a central tenet, it's that fat bodies are seen as out of control bodies. She talks about this multiple times and that sometimes that means that like physically they cannot contain their movements. Uh, they are unable to control their appetite. Uh, they are, especially women are very aggressive and can use their bodies as a physical weapon as well as uh, a sexual weapon. Mm -hmm. um, and this is where a lot of slapstick comes from for both men and women is the just fact of their larger body. The whole first chapter is talking about, or the first main chapter, there was like an introduction chapter, yeah. <laughs> but the first main chapter is talking specifically about like demasculinized yes. men, yes. Uh, fat men on screen. And there's like a section about how fat boys are often, especially fat children who are boys, are seen as very extra childish, which like they're children, so they're allowed to be childish. But uh, they talked a lot about Monster House, um, a movie where that has two fat characters, both of whom are pretty well demeaned in that movie. Mm. And the fat boy is uh, the, the protagonist's the protagonist best friend. And he is seen as the more childish of the two, more infant infantilized. Mm -hmm. infantilized. Yeah, you got it. You got Thank it, you. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And I think a lot of this fat phobia for men is rooted in sexism. Yes. This this book talked about how the demasculization and the uh, idea that being fat is a feminine trait for men is just rooted in thinking that femininity is inferior to masculinity. Right. And so one of the ways we're going to take away fat men's power as being men is to make them seem womanish or feminine in some way, whether that's physically with the idea of man boobs or in other ways, uh, talking about the way they act and the way they're treated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Screaming, screaming in high pitched voices or mm-hmm. um, yeah, like you, they, it was in a different chapter, but she talks about how Paul Blart of Mall Cop mm-hmm. uh, picks up a lollipop off the floor, which is considered like a really feminine sweet. It's a candy that's considered to be a really feminine sweet. And he puts it in his mouth and gets energy from it. And it's just this whole idea that, yeah, they're, they're childish and they're infantilized and they're demasculinized and they're um they couldn't in any way shape or form be you know considered in a romantic situation although it does kind of talk about paul blart and how that but she talks about that on a class level so Mm -hmm. i thought that was really interesting too she was saying that the film's messages around the fatnesses of of his body are definitely that he is more childish and he is more infantilized and demasculinized but the point that they were trying to make was that a man who is uh, a white male who has been threatened you know because he's in this job that isn't very masculine and he his masculinity has been you know compromised because of all these things that he can somehow come out and top uh, and the white middle-class male will prevail. Like basically it was yes. a class message uh, that, you know, use the fatness as a way to make the film funny uh, uh, without, you know, um, offending too many people, I guess, is really kind of the thought. But it's the idea. It was kind of interesting to talk about that movie in that way. It was like, oh yeah, okay. So um, we're talking about fatness. We're using it as a trope. We're using it as a way to make people laugh. But at the end of the day, we're not saying anything really about fatness, except to say that it's bad. Right. And it was interesting. And that white supremacy beats all. Exactly. White supremacy. Be- exactly. 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 Uh, so I thought that that was very interesting. The other thing that she brings up in the chapter around uh, men and how they're portrayed in film is that hypermasculinity is not considered to be a quote unquote good thing either uh, because any of the men in these movies, like she specifically talked about dodgeball who were hyper masculine. uh, They were portrayed as potentially homosexual. Like she talks about, so you, on the one hand, you've got these childish out of control bodies that are fat. And on the other hand, you've got these like, um, you know, chiseled bodies that are considered homosexual. And she talks about how dieting is considered a feminine thing, you know, being overly concerned with your body is a feminine thing. So men have to walk a line too, which exactly goes back to your talking about, you know, how men are, you know, there's, there's just as many body images wrapped body image challenges wrapped up in being a male as there is in being a female. And I think what you were saying about hypermasculinity also being a bad thing, it's also 
kind of a I've seen hypermasculine thin men on screen and it's not always seen as a bad thing but I think with fat men it's kind of a well, who are they kidding they can't be hypermasculine they're fat <laughs> right, right exactly they could never fulfill that role exactly which yeah it's kind of funny and and I just thought it was so interesting the way that this book uh really breaks it down in a way that actually made a lot of sense and unfortunately will change the way I look at films forever. <laughs> right. For the better and for the worse. Exactly. Uh, the chapter after the men and what it means to be in a fat male body is around female and what it means to be a fat female on a, on film. Uh, what were your kind of thoughts around that and the way that she portrays that? I thought it was interesting that that was still very centered around the way the men are treated Ooh. which is not a criticism of Barbara Plotz it's a criticism of film mm, <laughs> the film industry mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the centering of maleness because she goes through a couple of different sections and one of them was about uh, fat women dominating men uh, both sexually and physically um, and especially uh, in the just dominating men physically part that was especially true of black women like she had 10 examples and I think half of them were uh, about black women right. uh, one of them was uh, about a house that was possessed by a fat woman dominating her husband and if I mean that's pretty bleak if we can't get past like oh she's a house <laughs> and it's still a bad representation of fatness yeah it's a, house. it's a house but it had to be possessed by a fat woman who's dominating her husband right. and right. making him do bad things right in her service so funny so funny and then and then she talked a lot about the sexually aggressive part yeah. and uh that was mostly that women in sometimes those things overact interacted um overlapped uh there was a movie that sounds just wretched called good luck chuck yeah that yes. was the one at least the part that she talked about he thinks he has a curse on him that because every woman he dates the next guy she dates is the man she marries and so he wants to test his theory by finding someone unlovable who could never be married in a million years and that happens to be a fat woman and her fatness is portrayed very poorly. Mm -hmm. And he's literally like retching and almost vomiting at the idea of having sex with her. And she physically tackles him onto the bed, I think, which also happens in Norbit. Uh, it was, that, was, that was a rough one to read. That was a rough uh, one to read. I agree. <laughs> and it's just very telling that it's, she was she was very sexually aggressive toward him yes. she was very into the sex idea even though he was the one initiating it yes she was very sexually charged yeah. in an interesting way which is interesting because in some of the better movies about uh fatness sometimes the fat woman is completely desexualized like a lot of the ones that she listed at the end the author mm -hmm. listed at the mm -hmm. end about being unmarked fat characters as in no one in the movie commented on it most of those there was no real love interest at least that I, right. in the ones that i knew of right. movies like can you ever forgive me which doesn't really have a love interest or 
Ghostbusters 2016, mm-hmm. where uh, neither uh, Leslie Jones or Melissa McCarthy have a love interest. And those are some of the movies I wanted to check out right. because if, because I think that, I think there's nothing wrong with mentioning fatness on screen as long as it's not in a negative way. I think it can be a good thing. Hairspray was lifted up as an g- example of a right. mostly good movie. Yeah. The, the movie musical, at least. The the original movie was before the scope of this book. Right. But the movie musical from 2007 yeah. was lifted up as, hey, this one's not bad. It's got some problems, but it's not bad. Yeah. And at the end of that, she does she has a, she has a love interest throughout the movie and she gets together with him at the end. Yes. Um, and they have a nice kiss at the end. Yeah. But so there are good ways to mention fatness and make fatness a part of the narrative, but sometimes it's important to just have fat actors existing and just be actors. Yes. I (laughs) totally agree. I totally agree. Um, it's so interesting to watch these movies and see what they do with the fat characters. And you, you kind of, I don't know, it's almost like the difference between following someone on social media who has like fat phobic beliefs and following someone who's a fat liberationist like there's very there's very different uh uses of uh and discussions around what it means to be fat you know uh they're just taking i I know barbara plotz hates stereotypes she doesn't use that word she uses tropes um Mm -hmm. and she hates these kind of tropes that get you know over and over perpetuated and yeah, I think the especially in terms of what she was talking about in this chapter, we've heard so much of this, like in a lot of these body acceptance books, they talk very specifically about all these different stereotypes and these films, just the ones, most of the ones she talked about, except for the the few honorable mentions that you just listed there, uh, pretty much buy into all of these tropes quite well Mm -hmm. you know like just quite well um and it's so sad to see and you're right about good luck chuck i it's just so like when you start to i think when you've bought into diet culture and you are in a larger body and you watch these types of films you can laugh along with it because you can somehow detach from it and think Mm -hmm. okay uh, yeah i'm in a larger body but i'm at least not that fat or i don't look i don't i'm not acting like that i know other fat people do but not me like you can kind of you can kind of detach yourself from it and make excuses for it but when you've Mm -hmm. bought into fat liberation and body acceptance and you've done the reading and you've done the work and you begin to recognize that you know i have yet to meet a fat person who would you know do some of the things that especially that good luck chuck like they talked about how she had like a garbage bag of donut holes beside her. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but she was in a setting where it was completely inappropriate. Um, she was, they said that she did things like take the lobster tail and like smush it on her face. I, I, right. I've never met anybody who's done that, you know, like, it's just sort of like, it's just the weirdest thing to me, the way sometimes these movies go over the top to, both try to make it funny and B try to say, we're not being fat phobic. You know, there's obvious reasons why this person is, is, is um, uh, just gross, quote unquote gross, you know? Right. And that is sometimes bolstered. I, one of the things that kept coming back to me during this whole book was how sorry I felt for fat actors and actresses mm. because I can't blame some, I, you know, I don't, some of these roles were portrayed by thin actors in fat suits. 
but some of them were portrayed by fat actors. And I can't imagine how difficult that would be to be making a movie that you probably know is not great. Yes. (laughs) While still having to go through and act it all. Right. Because you need the money, you need a job, you need something on your resume, that kind of thing. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's one of the things that's helpful about having someone like Melissa McCarthy out there because she doesn't have to say yes to every single role that comes her way. Now, that doesn't mean that all her roles are positive going forward. <laughs> no, no. But no. but if she wants to be more selective about what kind right. of fat characters she portrays, she has some opportunity to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's definitely, well, and even looking now, I mean, Melissa McCarthy's got a brand, right? Like, it's not like she could all of a mm-hmm. sudden just move into something completely different uh, without upsetting her fan base. So she does have to kind of try to appease that. And I mean, we look at Rebel Wilson. I mean, she's just problematic on a couple of different levels, including, you know, when she, w- I can't remember what movie she was in, but she came out and said, she's like the first fat person to, Oh, it was, um, isn't it romantic? Isn't it romantic? Yeah. Where she was like, you know, I'm the, I'm the first fat actress to be in a romantic comedy. And it was like, uh, uh, Queen Latifah? No, no, we're not thinking about any of the, or Monique, or like, there was like, yeah, she got in a lot of trouble for that, so she should have. And then she started blocking a and lot of then black she, women. Yeah, then she doubled down, right. and even now, like, she's lost a bunch of weight, and she's like, well, I actually always was thin. Uh, I just, like, you know, overfed myself in order to be fat so that I could play these roles, because you know, I knew that I could be funny and it was just like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) yeah. uh, Yeah. It's, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. And, And I mean, like you said, though, I mean, these are actors and actresses, they have to make a living off of not just their acting, but in these two particular cases, they do slapstick comedy. Like they do physical comedy where they're using their bodies as a way Uh, to make people laugh. And part of the way that people laugh is because they are in larger bodies. So yeah, it definitely, um, you know, like it's a business and they've got to do what they've got to do and, and whatever. But yeah, just some of the things that were being said are just so frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I may be jumping the gun a little because it's another chapter, but there was a a lot of talk about fat slapstick and gross out comedy. Yeah. That's yeah. Let's go there because um, I think that was, was pretty interesting and I think super relevant I think so too and it was just kind of the idea behind using their fatness as a comedy device and the idea that because they were fat that was inherently funny and anything they did physical it was a fat person doing it which isn't to say that fat people can't do slapstick there's that they absolutely can it's just we need to decouple it from the idea that their fatness is inherently funny yep. or out of the ordinary or othered or that kind of thing. Right, right. And I think the slapstick, uh, especially the like idea of like a clumsy or uh, bumbling fat person goes back to the idea that fat bodies are out of control bodies. Yes, that they can't physically control themselves. And so they slip over the hood of a car or fall (laughs) down or 
whatever else yes. they do. Yes. Uh, I, yeah. I distinctly remember watching the movie Spy for the first time. And there was, she has a makeover and goes and gets into this beautiful dress. And she, there's a shot of her walking out of the, out of the store in this beautiful dress. And I was expecting her to like fall down or fall in a trash can or get tomatoes thrown at her or something. Right. And that didn't happen. Right. And that was just shocking to me that they just let that moment play the way they would for any fan actress. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. Yes. Yes. But it, it's telling that you sit on the edge of your seat waiting for that moment to occur. Yes. You know, I imagine that, you know, it's the kind of thing that you'd have to see twice before you'd realize, Hey, they're not actually making fun of this person. Yeah. And that's the thing that's frustrated me most about spy, because I thought the text of spy, I thought that that movie was pretty good. I thought I haven't watched it in a while. So there may be there. And even in the book, she said there are some good things and some trouble areas. Mm. So I'm sure there are trouble areas. But overall, I thought it was a good movie for Melissa McCarthy and the way it represented her fatness. Right. That said, every single cover of the DVD is emphasizing how like ugly she is or how they put it, they put her in ridiculous clothes and right. you're supposed to laugh at her because she's fat and in ridiculous clothes. And it's very disappointing. I really wanted a spy cover where she was wearing that beautiful dress. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah. It's so disappointing the way they, they do that. And then one of the things I, that this book that I never really thought about before that this book emphasized that I think I am going to take with me forever <laughs> is things like what a fat person in a movie is wearing what their choreography Mm -hmm. is like the shots the angle shots which i i had never really thought about before but the fact that they're filming fat actors and actresses from kind of like the bottom up uh Mm -hmm. they're emphasizing that fatness you know or they're um adding sound effects domineering yes or the domineering or um, you know, uh, the childishness of, cause they talk about that movie kangaroo Jack, where at the end, yeah. the actor is like seen from one of those types of shots, like jumping off a boat. And he's just like, his, his mouth is wide open. Cause he's screaming. Cause he's so delighted. And this, the way the shot is done just really emphasizes, uh, his fatness, his childishness, his, um, you know, his demasculinization, like it just, it kind of covers it all. And this book really got me thinking about that, where it was like, oh yeah. Like even in good luck, Chuck, where they, the shot is like from the bottom up. So you can see the donuts and you can see her body and profile. It's just like, wow. They really are emphasizing these things that I never really, those are the things that actually create the atmosphere that allows for these fat actors and actresses to do this type of slapstick comedy and make it really really very much about their bodies because we've already Mm -hmm. got all these things that have subconsciously set us up for this to be really funny because of their size yeah and then you've got something like bridesmaids which was a way to do a raunchy comedy but starring women because most Mm. raunchy comedy stars men and so it was subversive in that it was starring women but it played into tropes about fat fatness as a gross out me- mechanism. Right. Um, and that's troubling. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Then, and it, it's so bad. Cause I can remember watching that movie and laughing my ass off. And then when she starts bringing up all these things, I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so like, yeah. Um, but yeah, there, and it, it, you know, the, the way they talk about it in the book is that the, you know, the thin characters might do the exact same things, but just the sound effects and the way it's shot, uh, emphasizes, you know, the, the look of their body, like the, they talk specifically about the scene in the hangover or the hangover two mm-hmm. where they're tasered. I'm pretty sure it was the hangover um, where they're tasered and like ev- the thin people get tasered too. So they all fall as well. So that would have been funny. Um, but because the fat character falls in a different way with a different sound effect. Uh, and then you've got another character going, well, he's a big boy. So he's got to be tased twice. Um, it all adds to this comedic, uh, environment that, you know, you really kind of, you're kind of like, okay, it's because of his fatness that makes this extra funny. It's almost like there's a secret language that we have where we all just accept, oh, fat people are funny because they exist, right? But not laughing with them, right. laughing at them. Yeah. It's like, that's the, that's the premise of yeah. a lot of these movies mm-hmm. that have fat characters in them. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go along with that premise that fatness is inherently funny because it's unusual or othered or that kind of thing. And do you think like, okay, so I'm thinking about identity thief, right? Mm -hmm. So Melissa McCarthy, yes, her body gets used in a lot of ways. Um, She jumps for a chandelier and falls. Like there's lots of physical comedy in that, but there's also a lot of other reasons I think we're meant to laugh at her, including like her gaudy makeup, her really ugly clothes, her wild hair. Um, And so do you think they do those types of things in order for us to not go, Oh, they're being really discriminatory towards fat people. Like, is it, is it supposed to soften the blow? That's a good question. And I'm not sure of the answer. Hmm. I think it could be there. It could be there to soften the blow. I'm also not sure that they're aware that there's a blow to soften all the time. <laughs> right. That makes Good sense. Point. Good they point. don't. They don't always know that. Like, I, I think. I think it's going to become more true going forward. Right. That this is going to be policed a little more. Policed is a bad word for that. It's going to be noticed a little more and commented on. Of hey, I really liked your movie, but you didn't do very well by your fat character. And that's going to be seen as a bad thing as opposed to right. before and now where it's kind of like just par for the course. Right, right, right. Good point. Good point. Yeah, no, you're probably right. Hollywood wouldn't really think about it too much, would they? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, she's also got a whole chapter around food and eating. Yes. And this was the most straightforward chapter, in my opinion. I was sort of like, yeah. Yeah, this is this all really makes sense. She talks about eating, you know, eating inappropriately and overeating. And how do you mm-hmm. see those tropes uh, playing out on these in these different films? Because of my eating disorder, that was one of the ones I I skimmed the skimmed mm. the lightest. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, that makes complete. <laughs> um, we don't sense. we don't have to go off the topic. I just uh, it, it was it was a little. Well, it wasn't. I, I wouldn't say triggering, but it was like mm, I'm just gonna. Just gonna keep going. So, like, regardless of that chapter, when you watch films, do you notice this kind of stuff? Like, is it like, like, um, does it come to the forefront the way someone who would be like an ex-smoker, let's say, who notices everybody who smokes? Like, do you really notice this kind of stuff? I, 
not necessarily okay because i hadn't really noticed the inappropriate eating mm-hmm. as a trope but i once she mentioned it i was like oh that makes sense that yeah. either e- eating at an inappropriate time in an inappropriate place or inappropriate food for the setting right uh i hadn't noticed that as a trope before but i'm sure i will going forward <laughs> right. yep. um, this book will forever change us <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm hyper aware of other people eating in like movies and TV mm-hmm. just because they're they're allowed to do that. It's just me that's not allowed to do uh, that. Gotcha, gotcha, <laughs> if that gotcha. Makes sense. Yes. No, no, no. I, I do understand that. Um, I found it interesting the way she related the food to um messages around class and race i thought that was that was really kind of an interesting point uh she talks a lot about the movie precious and i thought there was just so much in that movie pretty much in every single chapter that got talked about Mm -hmm. um and this connection between the food that precious was eating with her mom which was a very very disordered relationship and the food that precious sees when she's talking to other people who are more quote-unquote middle class Um, you know, whereas like one type of food would be considered more of a cultural food, whereas the other type of food was more white supremacy reigns supreme again, (laughs) this idea around white (laughs) class, you know, white middle-class eating habits. So, um, I did think some of that was actually really interesting, uh, and not Mm -hmm. something I'd really thought about before. Yeah. It's something I, several of these movies, I, never want to watch in my entire life Mm -hmm. but some of them I do want to watch again or watch for the first time and that is something that I will take note of as I do um even some of the like I uh, no thanks I don't need to see good luck Chuck no thanks I don't need to see Norbit (laughs) no 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 but dream girls I'll watch dream again which got kind of a mixed kind of a mixed review I agree I agree completely Um, yes and yeah, no, I, I, I might I might check out some of the Melissa McCarthy's I haven't seen because I'm curious about that now and how her filmography kind of shapes up as a whole. Yes. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Yeah, there, I, there was a lot I hadn't seen, to be honest with you, but the descriptions yeah, in the book were really good because I kind of understood what what they were talking about. So, yeah, I was able to follow along pretty much everything yeah. even when I hadn't seen the movie. Yeah, me too, which is surprising you know when you think about it you're like wow she did a really good job because I know even on this podcast sometimes trying to bring listeners up to speed with what we're talking about in our conversation about a book they may not have read is sometimes really Mm -hmm. difficult to do so I can imagine even when you're writing it gets to be like okay now I got to slow down write out the scene talk about what's happening give a little bit of background like I can imagine it's it's a bit of a task so she did a good job I thought I think so too. It also kind of speaks to how I'd heard of most of these movies, mm-hmm. but it's not like Star Wars. Everybody's seen Star Wars. Mm-hmm. If there was a fat character in Star Wars, you could maybe shorten the summary because eh, most of the readers have probably seen Star Wars, mm-hmm. but there aren't really fat characters in Star Wars. Right. Um, there was brief mention of, uh, there was there was a little bit of mention like we talked about before of Uh, Ned in Spider-Man and the Avengers Uh, but that was that was certainly the most famous movie that was mentioned Mm. but I think these are movies that sure a lot of people have seen but they're not 
the big the biggest blockbusters because the biggest blockbusters just don't have any fat representation not like yeah like star wars or i mean or there was the fat suit controversy with uh thor in uh avengers whichever one that was (laughs) right right well and i and i along that line i would say harry potter would have been also another one where you could probably have shortened the discussion now i'm not that wasn't one included in the book but i agree with you in uh, in terms of uh reach you know those types of movies had more reach yeah harry potter the main fat characters i'm more familiar with the books than i am with the movies yeah me too but uh i think the movies were before the may have been before the purview of the no probably not yeah i I know that's like me bringing it up goes oh well that was complicated because i'm not i actually thought harry potter no i was harry potter does a rough i thought it was around 2000 like i thought the first one came out around then but i could be way wrong you know so i'm not sure why that one didn't make the cut i don't know maybe because she's in no i was gonna say maybe because she's in the uk but that wouldn't make any sense it feels like that would have been a bigger (laughs) place for it so i have no idea why she didn't tackle that one um yeah because it's they're they're all minor characters but they all get really bad treatment in both the books terrible yes and and actually i think it's worse in the books like thinking about Uh, it i'm like (laughs) it's really bad in the books um it's it's bad because like every single line that mentions dudley dursley it's like did you know he was fat right don't worry because i'm gonna tell you how fat he was (laughs) or even they had that friend who was the friend that in the movie they made fairly slim but in the book he was a chubby kid um, uh neville that's who i'm thinking of yes and it was like even like in in terms of what we're talking about here he was the one who was infantilized and made to be quite mm-hmm. childish um yeah whereas you know yeah like it just sort of yeah anyway yeah and we're off topic it's, it, yes it's disappointing to look back at something that was so important to me as a child and it's very fat phobic. It's so it, there's fat a lot phobic. of there's a lot of issues, not so just related phobic. to J.K. Rowling being no. incredibly anti-trans. Right? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many issues there. But I know somebody was saying to me one. No, maybe I read it somewhere. Somewhere. This is <laughs> definitely not. It wasn't an academic read of any kind. But someone said something about how Harry Potter is just a reading of the popular kids being popular like being more popular and I sort of thought about it and I was like (laughs) I never thought about it like that but in some ways you could read the Slytherins as the outsiders and the ones who are considered to be the you know like I sort of went wow that really changes everything for me like I was just like that is so weird to look at it that way but I think it could there could be a reading there like that yeah it it's a book that read subversive to me as a child and does not Mm. anymore and not just because of jk rowling but because of the actual text right right it's so in uh, it's it's too bad because i i know i really got into it (laughs) i was like Mm -hmm. a harry potter i was such a fan it was like oh my god i gotta read this and like when the last one came out i like pre-ordered it i was so like oh oh anyway anyway that's anyway i guess we (laughs) should go into the last chapter then is the one about outsiders which i thought was like when I first started to look at kind of the table of contents, I was like, oh yeah, fat people's outsiders. Yeah, that's definitely true. But this is a kind of a bit of a more nuanced reading of, mm-hmm. of outsiders. And I, so I thought it was interesting. What did you think of that chapter? I thought that was really interesting too. And it really brought home that the kind of 
core of marginalization is to treat people as others, mm-hmm. as deviations from the norm, right. and that the norm is thin. The norm is white, the norm is straight, the norm is cis, all yeah. of those things. Yeah. And that the way to bring those bring minorities down is to say, oh well you're other. You're you're not from the norm. Yes. You're you're being subversive in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, there was a lot of discussion around race in the, and actually some discussion around mm-hmm. class because she talked about those two um, horror movies that actually had white people in them. Uh, yes. And the white people were obviously the bad people. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. they were all, quote unquote, trailer trash. So there was this discussion around how, you know, that was happening. But there was a lot of discussion around race, a really interesting chat around the blind side. Is that what it was called? Yes. Um, and you know, the, the Christmas card that got done, um, with him, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of towering over everybody and how they're like, it, it was interesting because they were talking about how this was a movie created for the white gaze. And I, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, sometimes the reality is, is that I think I, I've got a handle on my own intersectionality and my own understanding of, you know, um, trying to be an empathetic person when it comes to people who are that look different than I do. And then something comes along like that. And I go, Oh yeah, fuck. I never even thought about that, but yeah, that's right. You know? Right. It's, there's a lot of unlearning to do so much unlearning to do so much. And that's, that's true forever. You never (laughs) are like, okay, I'm done. Check on the international feminist. I am right. good. I've unlearned everything I have to. Right. The blind side is an interesting one because every time I've had conversations about that movie with people, which I haven't seen all, I haven't seen the whole movie, but I've talked to a couple people about this and about the centering of Sandra Bullock's character mm. in that narrative. Yeah. They're like, well, it's based on a real person. And it's like, yes, it was also based on the real person who was the fat black man. It's really his story, yeah. but it's told through the lens of the thin white woman. Right. Thin white upper middle class woman. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's just a way that racism and classism and fat phobia all intersect to say, no, we're going to take the story away from him and focus it on Sandra right. Bullock. You like Sandra Bullock? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and she won an oscar for that yeah. role and i don't know what that actor is doing who right. played uh right. i can't remember the character's name but yeah no i can't remember the character's name either that's interesting um yeah it it's i mean and and she talks about this in there about how he's like um portrayed as this very um passive only aggressive when he's like protecting his quote-unquote family um, you know, he doesn't relate desexualized. to any, desexualized it. And it's, it's like, it's, it, it could be read as well. No, it is um, pretty racist in the way it looks at people of color. Like it's, and it's yeah. just like, it's jarring, I think, because I think people look at it and see it not that way at all. And, you know, she breaks it down pretty good about why this is really a bad interpretation um, of <laughs> white saviorism yeah (laughs) Um, yeah on the other hand she talks about the movie notorious which i'd never i i had heard of but i I never saw i don't watch a lot of films to be honest with you Mm -hmm. um but i had never 
I had never watched that one either. And they talked about, you know, it, it had its issues too, because, you know, in trying to describe the main character, it was like, well, he's fat and he's really dark, you know? So there was some colorism stuff going on, but overall it seemed to be a fairly decent representation of what it means to be fat um, in the music industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And Hairspray is another interesting one to me because there's certainly an argument that there's some white saviorism going on in Hairspray. Yes. But, and this book pointed this out, and I don't, I don't want to gloss over that um, no. as a white person. I don't want to gloss over that. But it also pointed out that this does present fatness as a marginalization next to the racial marginalization mm-hmm. in a way of like, I can kind of understand where you're coming from because I'm marginalized too. Mm-hmm. And that can get you into trouble if you use that, that, that can be yeah. bad, yeah. <laughs> but it can also be a way of understanding each other. Yeah. Um, that's really useful. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've been out as queer for about 16 years mm-hmm. and I'll just transfer a couple of years and I've only been fat in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. But those things help me understand racism in a different way because I understand being marginalized. I'm not saying that those are the same thing as being non-white or anything like that or that my struggles are all the same. But it is a it is the lens I have to view the world through. And I use that lens to try to understand what uh, where mm. other people are coming from in their marginalization right 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 sense. right right yeah no it provides a level of understanding that's not exactly the the exact struggle but it gets you close enough that you can begin to have empathy and compassion for another group that maybe never really even occurred before to have that compassion for you know and I think that that's I, I I'm hoping that that's what people who are in thin bodies see when they start looking at movies that have like you said like hairspray that actually does have a fairly decent representation uh of fat character of a fat character and and yeah because because the movie the book also talks about how there's three main fat characters in that movie one is tracy Mm -hmm. who is portrayed by who is the main character and is portrayed by a fat actor one is edna who's portrayed by john travolta as a who is a man in a in a fat suit so there's a lot of gender stuff that's not <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. There's some fat stuff that's <laughs> yeah, not great. Yeah. Not the best. And then there's Queen Latifah playing yes. uh, Motormouth Maybell. Yeah. And she's there to pretty much support the white narrative. Right. And she's cool and she gets stuff to do. And I, you know, she has uh, a solo song that is the emotional heart of Hairspray at the same time she's kind of ignored by the narrative right and it's about teaching tracy how to be a better ally and how to it's it's about helping tracy right in the narrative right. rather than yeah. having her own storyline or that kind of thing right yeah. so that gets complicated yeah it does get complicated but i think and that's why i think this last chapter was so interesting to me is this discussion around you know, just outsiders and what it means to be outsider, to be outsider as a part of a group, to be an outsider as, as an individual, uh, and to be an outsider based on all these different things, you know, not just fatness, but also, um, 
representation around class and representation about race. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, do you think that this book has changed you now going in and watching a film? Do you think you're going to take, like, I, I know I'm going to look at the choreography and even where they're placing fat characters and what they're wearing. And and I'm going to be starting to like analyze all these things now because of this book. Uh, what kind of things do you think you might take away from reading this book? Absolutely. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, I will notice all of those things as well. And I'm hopeful that some positive tropes are going to, are soon on the horizon, Mm. that there will be positive things to look for. In addition to let me look at how they're doing this, how they're doing that. Right. In addition if that makes sense. Right. Because, like I said, this was a pretty bleak read. Right. But there may be hope. Spy gave me hope. Right. And Ghostbusters 2016 gave me hope. Mm-hmm. Isn't it romantic is also kind of a mixed bag, mm-hmm. but it gives me hope. But then again, I had hope after Hairspray debuted on Broadway, mm-hmm. especially in the theater. Mm-hmm. Women played Tracy Turnblad for six years and there was a movie and a live production for TV. And I wanted to see those actresses go on to play Glinda in Wicked mm-hmm. and Elle Woods in Legally Blonde. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen a lot of that. Right. Uh, the woman who originated the role on Broadway, Marissa Jarrah Winokur, won a Tony for it. And she hasn't been back on Broadway since. Now, I don't know the specifics of Marissa Jarrett Winokur. Right. I don't know if she wants to be on bro- back on Broadway or anything like that. Right. But if she does or did, it may not have been easy for her, even though she won a Tony and was the lead actress in Hairspray. Right. And that's difficult to imagine. And in a lot of ways, theater, because I'm a big theater person, in a lot of ways, theater was uh, far ahead of film in terms of like queer representation mm. and in some ways, other kinds of representation. Yeah. Not always, but a lot of the time. Uh, and I have not seen that be true with fatness. And that's really disappointing. Mm. Um, it, it, I, I'm ready for someone to take the lead, whether that's TV or movies or theater or something else. Yeah. And I, ha- I just haven't seen no. it. Maybe books, because I can find a fair amount of books. But yeah. even yeah. then, it's still a small majority right. or small majority. Right. right. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think we can see books starting to move that direction but it's like nonfiction, right? Like we have a lot mm-hmm. more information than we had. Uh, like when you think of shadow on a tightrope that was published in 72 or something somewhere in there, mm-hmm. 72, 75, something like that. And it was like the first real book that people still talk about now uh, in terms of fat studies and uh, fat liberation. And now we have a whole slew of them. I mean, this podcast wouldn't exist yes. without it you know? Absolutely. And we have a lot of biographies, like a ton of people have written biographies about what it means to be fat, uh, walking around in a fat body, like what that means. Uh, but we're not seeing quite as much on the fiction side. And you said that too, even with the young adult stuff, yeah, you're getting more, but, um, you know, you're probably also seeing a lot that has it, but is pretty problematic still. So yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to not see it. It's, and it gets me so angry and it, 
like it doesn't seem to bother anybody else when I'm sitting there watching something and I'm like, did you not just see that fat joke and how awful that was? And nobody else seems to think they may not even laugh. They just don't even realize that it's like, it's horrible, you know? There's an excellent article on, I believe it's called them. Uh, The website is them. I don't remember if it's them.com or them.us or something, Mm -hmm. but it's by Sadie Collins. Mm -hmm. And she talks about, uh how she's a romantic comedy fan and she actually has a podcast uh that's really good called you should see the other guy where they talk about romantic comedies (laughs) and she talks about how she's just learned how to just turn it off turn her brain off when there's a fat joke in romantic comedy because most of them have right and she's just she just goes temporarily nope i didn't hear that part right because if i pay attention to it it's gonna devastate me yeah and how she's starting to see she's also queer and she sees more she's seeing more queer rom-coms come out but they're all thin right and so she's yeah. still waiting for the right movies to come out for her and she deserves them yes yeah we we all definitely we all deserve deserve them. i deserve them. yeah you deserve just to them. see all the listeners yeah deserve exactly them. just to i mean come on when you're walking around in the world there are so many different types of people and we watch these movies and it's all tropes. Like even the thin characters are stuck in these boxes and that's not the reality of what we see around us. And it just gets so frustrating. Um, you know, that the, and they're, you know, they're praised all the time because we have all these stupid award shows where we give people, you know, stupid awards Mm -hmm. for sometimes very stupid movies that you're just like, what the fuck? Yes. Like how many cis actors playing trans roles we've given awards right. to. And- it's just like, yeah, yeah. Praise the the praise for doing something that's like not very inclusive. <laughs> like, no. Fuck. Anyway. Oh. Anyway. No, there's not a lot of films and there's not a lot of Oscar kind of films that are getting that have fat characters. Ugh. Anyway. And it's just frustrating. It is so frustrating. And you're right. This book very much highlighted that. So. Mm-hmm. It, it was a good read. I actually am really, really glad you recommended it. And I do recommend the listeners go, go pick it up because it was a very interesting read. Um, let's, and if you don't have it at, if you don't have good access to it, because it was a little expensive, yeah, that's true. ask your local library to buy it. Oh, see if they will. Yeah. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea. Actually. That's my library plug. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no people. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And you would think it's got Melissa McCarthy on the front. Right. And like, cause I, I packed this book around with me when I went, we took our parents away um, for their anniversary and uh, I packed this book with me and, you know, people were like, Oh, Melissa McCarthy and Jason Bateman. And I was just like, yeah, I'm like, but this was actually a pretty academic read. So it was sort of like, yep. yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. And they would pick it up fat on film. Like they'd give me the weirdest looks. It was great, <laughs> actually. Just pack the book around for a little while and see what happens. It's a good time. <laughs> uh, so let's say a friend of yours read this, really liked it. Um, probably this would be somebody who is either very academic or already has some type of an understanding around fat liberation. Uh, What book would you maybe suggest that they read next? If they want more books about fat liberation, I would say Fatally Ever After by Stephanie Yeboa is a big one uh, for me. I thought, and it has some discussions of uh, representation, uh, especially for black fat women. Mm. Uh, 
you, uh, you Have the Right to Remain Fat by Reggie Tofar is a favorite. The other thing I would recommend is if this isn't a subject that interests you, also look up books about race in film and queerness in mm-hmm. film and trans people on film and look at what does what film is something that a lot of people go to most people have seen a movie at some point (laughs) yeah what is that movie telling them yeah and that's something to think about and that's important to look at uh, you know the way that queer characters are filmed their shots are different than the way fat people are filmed are different from the way you know asian americans are filmed that kind of thing so i think read some fat liberation books i think that's a great place to start honestly read most of everything you've read through the fat girl book club i've found a bunch of books this way (laughs) um and a bunch more to add to my reading list and then also think about what else representation gives us yeah no i I mean, that's great. I mean, the two books you mentioned, awesome. But yeah, the things to think about and where to go next, that's really cool. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I guess now is the point where I ask you where people can find you. I just changed my Twitter uh, handle. My Twitter handle is now the has Katie, T-H-E-H-A-Z-C-A-D-Y, the has Katie. And that's probably the best place to find me. Um, either there or my fan fiction on Archive of Our Own, uh, which is also the Has Katie. Um, (laughs) And keep an eye on me. Um, I'm going to be doing several podcasts, ideally. Um, I've been talking to you specifically about all the podcasts I've wanted to start for a long time. I have like 20 ideas, but I have a couple that are actually in the works, including one about sleepover movies, one about Fred and Ginger movies, one about Fantasia, and one, the one that I think might be out by the time this is out is uh, public domain plays, where we'll read uh, plays that are in the public domain, and you'll actually be able to listen to them as an audio drama. Very cool. I will make sure that there's links to absolutely everything below so people can just scroll down and click. No worries there. Uh, And I just want to thank you so much, Haz, for being on Fat Girl Book Club. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for starting this. This has been a significant part of me understanding more, not just getting to the point of, oh, fat people deserve to be respected, but thinking about the ways in which fat people are marginalized and what I can do to make it better. So thank you. So cool. Thank you. I hope you had a good time. I I really do because I know I did. Even listening back when I was doing the editing and the show notes for this episode, I was like, this was just such like a relaxed, fun conversation. Uh, It was so super enjoyable, but also really interesting. uh, Thinking about fat representation on film and how far behind that might be uh, in comparison to, as Haz was talking about, theater or even books. When we look at some of the great books we've got coming out, especially YA fiction, uh, where we're starting to see some real movement in terms of, you know, fat characters. And even really some things that are on TV uh, even felt more uh, representative and leaps forward than when I read this book. So anyway, very interesting. It's a great read. Pick it up if you can. And uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you are having a great day wherever you are and keep reading everyone.